Fox Central Monday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio as we bring you another edition of Canucks Central. We are brought to you by Enzyme Pacific Vancouver's premier Chrysler Dodge Ram and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, we will have Don Taylor and Sean Gentili joining us uh, on the Dispatch Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline. That's come a little bit later on, but for now, we discuss your Vancouver Canucks. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Super Bowl is come and gone. And the only thing that means is we're getting into the stretch run of the hockey season now, Sat. Uh, yes, we are. We are. We, we have, uh, what, f- fewer than 30 games remaining on the season? Wow. No, yes, game, we do. We have 29 games. We are in t- almost into the final third of the season. And we're, we're pretty much, we're one more game into officially being into the final third of the yes. year. Yes. Uh, can the Canucks continue to have success in the final third? We will find out. But it's interesting to see how we sort of react to the team now than mm. how we did maybe in the past. And I don't want to say just the fan base because I think it is as a collective, right? You think about the loss against Boston, um, the disappointment against the Detroit Red Wings on Saturday, and then yesterday skirting by getting the win in overtime over the Washington Capitals in a game where yeah, maybe they leaned on Thatcher Demko more than they had in most other games this season oh, yeah. for Thatcher Demko. So it, it was, was really good. You know, they got a goalie game, yeah. right? The goalie stole them a game, which mm. hasn't happened nearly as often for this version of the Vancouver Canucks than it did for any of the previous five versions of this club. And yet it feels, though, it's not being treated as a blip on the a blip on the schedule where hey that's just what happens sometimes it's more like they're falling back into old habits at least that's the sense i get uh, to some i suppose right yeah. it, and like we've been talking about i think this year it's been a year of reframing um, just how you take in hockey and how you view hockey. It's been a very difficult decade, and most of it has been filled with angst, existential crises after crises, yes. and and questions about uh, is this team ever actually going to get its act together, and what is that going to look like? The games matter again, and you've yes. seen what, how things look bad, and you know what it looks like when it's bad. And when you see things that remind you of some of the previous years, not so far pa- back in the past. I can understand why it creates a little bit of consternation. So I do think we, we, as much as we talk about being patient, I think we also have to have some grace with the fan base itself too, that yes. as they recalibrate what it's like supporting a team that's really good and, and really honing in on what this team truly is. How much can you trust this team? And I think that trust, as much as, as it has really built with a lot of fans, with some, it's still a work in progress. I would also describe this weekend, Dan, as a work in progress for this team. Yeah, it's... It's kind of felt that way for a while. Um, you know, the Lindholm situation, he comes in in very difficult circumstances, right? He's uh, on his way to the All-Star game and finds out he's been traded to the Vancouver Canucks or something to that effect. And then they head out on a road trip. And after a day after the All-Star game, he's in Carolina with his new teammates and hasn't even been to his new city to yeah. sort of settle in. So it's it's really been, uh, okay, I'm just going to try and hit the ground running and we'll get settled at some point later on. Yeah, these are first world problems for professional athletes, but he hasn't even had a chance to get settled 
into his new life with his new team. So there are some, or what should be, I think, uh, <laughs> circumstances that have led to some of the disconnection we've seen with the Canucks over these last three games. I don't think they've been terrible. Uh, maybe the Boston game, they were certainly poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Detroit, they weren't bad, had the tough third period. Certainly yesterday, we've seen them play better games than they had, but they get the win even still against all those odds. So even while they're struggling, they're still finding a way to get results. And ultimately, shouldn't that be viewed as a positive, as sort of a positive trait of of what this team has become this season? For me, that's what it is. Well, it shows you they can win in different ways. And one of them, obviously, is goaltending. And as bad as as they were, because I don't think they were horrible by any means, but I thought... It was a game that perhaps showcased quite a bit of fatigue. Yes. And also over the weekend, how things kind of went. But it wasn't like they were giving away, you know, two on ones and breakaways and everything like that. It was sustained pressure at times. There was a few breaks here and there, and, and Demko really stood tall every time he was challenged. But they it shows weren't pressuring you to, pucks and getting to lose pucks in the way that they do when they're when they're on their game. No, but they were also not falling apart with their structure, generally mm-hmm. speaking. So they can also kind of weather storms with how they defend in zone for the most part, generally how they box out. We saw some of those things kind of wane against Detroit as well, especially on the tying goal. And there was a couple of instances where even the coach made mention of it. But generally speaking, with their staples, they've still been okay. So when, when you have that as your foundation, you have good goaltending and you have high-end players that can still score... You're going to find ways to win games. The thing that I'm encouraged about more than anything is I don't believe we've seen the best version of this team yet. No, and especially, especially with Lindholm. Precisely. And this is why they went out and made the deal early. Give him time to get integrated with the team to really figure out where his fit is. I'm not sure we know yet who his best line mates are on this team. It hasn't felt great with um, JT Miller and and Brock Besser. It uh, certainly didn't look good for the Patterson and Lindholm line in Boston on Thursday when they were both minus four. So it hasn't clicked. I don't think Lindholm's been poor by any stretch of the imagination. It just hasn't looked great. It hasn't had the desired effect outside of one game, really, when they played Carolina, where you expect you bring in a high-level player to add to your group, and it hasn't really hit just yet. We shouldn't expect it to hit just yet because, hey, you know, he's in with a bunch of new teammates. It's going to take some time to, to find your footing and find your best place on the team. So I think there is a little bit of you know, expectations versus reality going on where expectations are way up here for Elias Lindholm and what it's going to mean to the Vancouver Canucks when in reality it's it's probably going to work into them getting to that next level over time. When they gave up as much as they did to get him, and it wasn't a, you know, we talked about how the price was worth it. And, you know, I, I don't think they traded anything away from outside of Bruce Davich. Obviously, in the first round picks, a decent pick. But you didn't trade away any of your really top young assets in terms of players. But you still gave up quite a bit to get him. So there, there is this expectation that he's going to be an impact player, should be an impact player. In areas of the game, he has helped. The two-way five-on-five play, I think, as a line, hasn't been great. Mm-hmm. With JT and Besser yet, I think that's part of the chemistry they have to figure out. In reality, I don't think we're going to see the best version of Lindholm on this team until March. 
And that's okay. And that's, that's again, why you made this trade early. How often do you see a team make a trade, add a player in, and it looks really bad until the end of the season? Yeah. And it never really gets there in the playoffs. Then the pressure goes up. It's a little bit uneasy at times. And really, maybe by the time they figure it out, it's too late. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you made the trade early so you can work through all this. And if you're picking up results and winning as you're working through integrating a pretty sizable addition to the team, that's all gravy. And that's why as much as we can look at how they've played, Mm -hmm. and yes, there are things we can critique over the past three games here, but you still came away with three points in those three games. The stretch where I think you're hoping it really starts to click is the nine-game homestand in March. That begins on March 9th. They're going to have some days off between games. So theoretically, there'll be some practice time. You're going to have a long time at home. He'll probably have a better sense of how he's going to be settled over the next couple of months until he figures out uh, how he figures out he's going to be a Vancouverite for the next few months Mm -hmm. until he gets to the summer and decides where his next future is going to be as an unrestricted free agent in the National Hockey League, whether that's Vancouver or somewhere else. But... Reality is, like, you know, those are realistic factors you have to take into place for players. And I think that practice time and that time to get settled during a long homestand, that's probably when a player is going to feel most comfortable as he works in with his new team. So probability's sake, that's my estimation of when this should really start looking like you hoped it would when they made the trade. But right now, you know, I think... The, the penalty kill has been a little bit better with Lindholm on it. There's still been some speed bumps as far as five-on-five five goes, but in general, he hasn't been bad. It's just, it can be better, and well, you're yeah. expecting it to be better. Of course, and I think it will get better overall in that, in that aspect of things. And now the Canucks PK has been on a run here since December 1st. So going back you know, a few months now, they're eighth in the National Hockey League. Since January 1st. So they're 1st, a top 10 PK over the last two months. Yes. and Two since, plus months. Since January 1st, they're fifth. Okay. So their PK has turned around in a big way. Like right now, th- their PK is playing like a top five PK in the league based on their current form. And that's something that we talked about a, a few months back. And one of the things I truly believed was this team has far more impactful PK players than the percentage is showing. Like the percentage shows they're not a great PK team. Now, it's really come along. Like they're in the top 12 now, I think, almost in the league. So they're really inching up towards the higher echelon. But I thought this the PK should and would be a strength of this team at mm-hmm. some point in the season. It seems like that's happening. And you add Lindholm to that fact, I think that's a positive. So all of a sudden, your PK is better. And you get good goaltending. Your structure is still there. So when you're not playing at your best, you still find ways to win games. And you're also getting a boost right now from the way Niels Hoaglander is playing. Yeah. And if Niels Hoaglander and Pedersen didn't rekindle some magic the past couple of days, do they pick up three points in in, in two nights? Or two days, I should say, the early games? Uh, probably not, right? Um, as we talked about on uh, the pregame show yesterday, it was a mixed bag for, for Hoaglander and Pedersen on Saturday against the Detroit Red Wings. They had the offense, of course, but a couple of defensive miscues as well. That line um, at 5-on-5 was two goals for, two goals against. So they came out of the wash. They did, but they scored a couple goals, right? And you can look at some of the stuff as being bad luck, but they created good scoring chances and quality. And yesterday, I just 
I mean, I absolutely love the Hoaglander goal. Yeah, I love everything great. about it. The way that they break into the into the offensive zone, really have Washington on their heels, yeah. and you know, moving the puck quickly with speed, getting through the neutral zone with speed, and then being able to attack with speed downhill. You know, everything about Washington was just like, whoa, we're like, yeah. How do we defend this right <laughs> now? I don't know. Oh God, it's too much goal speed. against, yeah. right? And that's essentially what what happened on that goal, and that's. That's the peak of what it can look like with two high, like high-level offensive players, which is what I think Hoaglander can be at times. He has at least some of those instincts and some of that talent from a, a stick-handling perspective. His shot has improved this year, as we've seen on a couple of the goals that he scored. It's just like to stick in a top-six role, it's more than these moments of offense that you can flash. It's the defensive moments too, because mm-hmm. you're going to be up against tougher levels of competition. If you're being asked to play in a top six role, you're going to be asked to play a few more minutes at five on five. And it's those things over time that are what is going to tell us if Nils Hoaglander can do it or not. And when he's been given the opportunity in the past, you know, the effectiveness has waned over time rather than stood. It's fair, right? But Right now, he has 16 goals in the season. Yes. He was hot earlier this year. Yes. It's working. Ride it. Ride it for as long as you possibly can. And listen, I, I, everything you mentioned, I still have some concerns and questions. And it's not even so much about how we see things. It's it's about how we see things in the way the coaches are clearly dictating and, and um, using the players in situations. In. And if they're that adamant on the details and the things that you got to do and the breakdowns happen... And it seems like he's in the middle of it one too many times. Whether we like it or not, that's probably what the coach is going to do. They're going to take him off that line. I'm hopeful, Dan. I'm hopeful that he matures here because there's no better solution for this organization this season than Niels Hoaglander and Pedersen truly building on this and being a duo for the rest of the year. He's making 1.1 on the cap. It would save what you would have to go out and look for at the deadline, potentially. Well, the trade market's very uninteresting. Exactly. Something we've talked about quite a bit. 100%. Your best, the best bet is, I mean, the most ideal situation is somebody internally, like, popping. And as much as we talk about Pew Suter, I just don't think he's a top six caliber player. Hoaglander shows he can do some of those things. I know Raymond and others are asking about Mikheyev and saying, hey, now that Kuzmenko's gone, he's still struggling. So what happened to the whole Kuzmenko thing? Fair. He's shown he can play in that spot at times. I'm not sure other guys can. If, but if Hoganator can be a scorer with Pedersen, then the type of player you, you're looking for at the deadline is going to be quite a bit different than perhaps what you're hoping to get. And yeah. that's maybe a top six caliber player that could impact the play somewhat significantly. Because right now, we're not quite sure what the best duo is for Elias Pedersen on this team. No. And... And the same thing for Lindholm. And, the, and and maybe it is Lindholm. Yeah. But they haven't really tried it more than, you know, a game and a half, really. Uh, it, it it really hasn't had a long enough runway to see if it's going to work with Lindholm or not. Yeah. Um, I think what Coach did to, to move Lindholm back to center was more like, hey, let's try to put him in a, a spot he's very comfortable in right now. Without any practice time, this might just make sense as we get through this little tough stretch of heavy schedule and all these things. But ultimately, I think Lindholm does move back with Pedersen. Now, that doesn't mean Hoaglander can't play there. But, you know, that's going to be a line that's going up against a lot of tough matchups. And the thing is... Again, yeah, but if you're going... If you're hard matching the Pedersen... I mean, sorry, the JT line. Yeah. 
then you can be a bit more selective when you where you, where you would throw Patterson and Hoaglander out. Exactly. So that's that's going to be something that we'll have to see how it plays out. But again, this comes down to when you get to the playoffs and the games are so tight and every mistake is that much more noticeable, that's, that's ultimately what the coach is sort of looking ahead to. Yeah, he'll tell you he takes it game to game, but it's also what can I trust, what can I really go to, and what can I feel good about going into the postseason? Because we're already seeing it. Like these last few games, especially uh, Carolina and Boston, like you see the pace is picked up. You see the time and space is being taken away mm-hmm. quicker. There's just more feeling in these games. Even on the weekend, you have yeah. Detroit and Washington, both teams that are fighting for their playoff lives, and they sort of played like it. Yeah. So you just – like the, the games do have – they're not like they don't ultimately have what the playoffs feel like, but they're getting closer to that level of feel sat where the pace is picked up, time and space is taken away, you know, and and that's and the, the fact that Hoaglander has excelled in those types of atmospheres over the weekend, I think bodes well for him, and it is the best solution for this team. I just I'm still thinking it's more likely than not that he doesn't get all the trust from the coaching staff yeah, over time. Yeah, but but I thought Gordy Locke made a good point on. Twitter too is it time to let him to see if he can outproduce his problems? Yeah. Remember what Boudreaux said is like if he's going to play in the top six, he either has to really figure out what he needs to do and be consistent, or he's got to score a lot. Yeah. Is it worth giving him giving him an extended run here to see if he can outscore his problems? Mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> mind honestly. Like he's got 16 goals on the season. Like I can yeah. be critical as much as I want, and I, and I happen to have my doubts and everything. But when a guy's doing this, at some point you got to say, you know what, kid? Here's your shot. Yeah. Let's see what you can do. Can you truly do this or not? Right? Could you? You could say the same for Connor Garland, though. Like why? But he's playing. He's playing in that like, role right now. And they're just stapled together, though. You're not. You're not mixing up the the third line at all. Even though both Joshua and Garland have played. So well that maybe they do garner a, a look higher up the lineup in bigger spots. Yeah, but I, listen, I, sure, give it a shot. I'm playing devil's advocate with you. Sure, g- g- give it a shot if you want to. But they're playing so well as a line. Like, yeah. Why? Like, again, their their best line on the weekend consistently was the third line again. Yeah. Yesterday, that was the only line that consistently created, spent time in the offensive zone, was was thoroughly engaged in the game start to finish. It was those three guys again. Yeah. I don't know if I want to mess with that. Coach said after the game, Garland and Hoaglander were the best players for, yeah. for the Canucks. So give Hoaglander a real run here. Uh, I feel like Hoaglander is like um, Mark Wahlberg and the other guys. He's like goes into Tockett's <laughs> office like, you got to let me fly. You don't think so? No. I'm a peacock. You got to <laughs> let me fly. I think that's what Nils Hoaglander is doing with... Uh, with Rick Tockett, I don't know. It's yeah. possible. No, and you know he's you know, letting them fly right now. Though. He is. He is. And and the thing is, I know people mention like other guys also make mistakes. It's not just Hoaglander. It's true. It's about the staples and the system mistakes that are kind of non-negotiable. Yeah. And those are the, are the things that at times Hoaglander messes up, and it's kind of similar to Kuzmenko, right? And I think that's kind of the issue there in terms of why those mistakes are different than some of the other mistakes that players make. Uh, so. Can Hoaglander stick with Elias Pettersson? It's definitely something that uh, we're finding out right now. Give, honestly, give it a shot. He's producing. Give it a run for a little bit of uh, a little bit of time. What else can you ask from a kid? He's got 16 goals. I will say, Mikheyev, it feels like Mikheyev is starting to come out of his slump a little bit. Yeah, here and there. <laughs> I'm not sure. 
Like he actually, I thought he had some really good moments against Detroit. Yeah, he's helped the PK a bit more. He's yeah. using his speed. He's forechecking and everything. I but, think ultimately, unless you know they add something to this roster, Mikheyev feels like more of a fit in the top six than than other folks on this roster. Well, I I still want to see maybe him playing with JT at some point. Mm-hmm. If they move Lindholm off that line, go JT with Mikheyev and Besser. Now you get speed and some forechecking, which I think helps mitigate against some of the lack of pace that Besser has. And perhaps that helps open things up a little bit for them. That's one trio I'm intrigued to see. Right now, it's clear Mikheyev is lacking confidence as well. Yeah, He's got to get better and get through it. I still believe in, in the player type and what he can do. It's just, I'm not quite sure he's close enough to get out of it. I don't, I don't know if I feel better about his game yet. Um, and then if you do that, you could have the Swedish House Mafia, NHL style, uh, with uh, Lindholm, Hoaglander, and Pedersen potentially as the other top six line. The thing about Mikheyev, um, he's played in this fourth line role. Three shots against Boston. That was still with uh, Pedersen and Lindholm. But then Saturday, he had three shots again in under 10 minutes, and he had a couple of shots on net yesterday against Washington. So he is getting a few looks to say that uh, he's come out of his offensive slump. Uh, No, that's not the case just yet. But, you know, the offense overall feels like it's drying up for the Canucks. And and one thing I I think is happening, Sad, is we are – getting to that point of the season after the all-star break, the quote unquote second half where things tighten up and there's lots of less, like less space. And we're, we are going to see a far, a far larger amount of low, low scoring games, not just for the Canucks, but across the league now. Well, five of their last 10 games, uh, they, they score, there were five or fewer goals. Yeah. So that's half of the games. And if you looked at it for most of the season, it was like seven out of eight games were six and a half or more, like six to seven goals Mm -hmm. or more. You know, we joked so much on how they they hit the over all the time in terms of goals. That's come down. That doesn't mean they they still can't go off. I mean, they had the 6-4 win against Toronto. Uh, They won 6-3 against New York uh, in New York. That was in January. So they've had a couple of, you know, lopsided wins. Even Jersey, they had six goals, right? So they scored a bunch earlier. The last 10, though, there are a lot of games that are 2 nothing. Yeah. Four nothing, where they lost three two, three two overtime yesterday. So I do think they're it's starting to get back to being that type of hockey generally across the league for the top teams. And I think the Canucks are more than comfortable playing those types of games. Uh, the Canucks are no longer the highest scoring team in the league. That is now the Colorado Avalanche. So something to keep an eye on. And you know, I one sort of thing that stood out to me in the the uh, offense is dipping. Brock Besser. Now, we haven't really talked about it too much, but he has been colder of late. He had the hat trick against Columbus, yeah. but those are the only three goals he scored over the last 11 games that the Canucks have played. Yeah. And, so, like, and he hasn't been as noticeable as he was earlier in the season. So, I, I just think this is not that Brock's season is falling off, but I think it's just more of a sign of how much harder it's getting for. Not just the Canucks, but everyone around the league to score goals at this time of year. Yeah, I think what in his last 19 games, he scored goals in three games. Yeah. He had three goals, you're right, against uh, Columbus, the hat trick. He had two goals against Pittsburgh. And then he had one against the New York Rangers. So that's, yeah, three games in the last 19 where he scored a goal. He has uh, not scored much uh, since really Christmas. I think it's six goals since Christmas for Brock Besser. Which, I mean, he was on such a heater. Yes. You know, and as much as Brock Besser is showing his his truer potential now, he's had a healthier season, things are going for him, going well for him. I don't think at any point we thought he's a 50-goal scorer. No. 
I think we kind of know what Brock Besser is as, as a player. His high end, I think we always thought was, if things go right for him, can he score 30 plus? Can he get maybe to 40? That's kind of what we're looking at still. Can he, can he get 10 goals in the last 29 games here? Uh, that's uh, another thing to keep an eye on. Plus, we'll have Don Taylor coming up in just a little bit. His take on the Canucks right now and the rising expectations around this team. We'll join up with the great Don Taylor next on Canucks Central.